another episode of the I Am Podcast. Today we are sitting down with Christos Hansen and Eva Ladere, artists, performers, musicians, and Christos is also a marine vet. And so we really want to just have a conversation with them about life in their shoes, also being an interracial couple and the state of affairs today. So please give a big round of applause and welcome to our guests. Woo! Christos and Eva. Not just our guests, our family. That's we, right. We we love these two. Yeah, we love you too. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And we just miss you guys so much. It's been such a tough time with, with the state of affairs, with COVID, not being able to see one another. And I know that in the beginning we were all on super lockdown. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it was it's probably the probably it was the smart thing to do. And I think we're all we've been very responsible about it. But we were we are excited to to just hopefully get together physically again soon. But we can just jump right into it. Uh, what we usually just want to get to know you a little better and we want our listeners to get to know you a little better. So we'd love to hear a little bit about your story. I actually have a really lovely moment where I feel like the three of us sort of shared because we were on a stage together unknowingly before we even really established all you know the friendship that we have now. So I thought that was a really cool story. And I think that's the night you guys met, if I'm correct. Well, it was... I mean, beyond was, the rehearsals, it was it was our yes, first performance our together. First performance yeah, together. we met in the rehearsals for that. Performance. Actually, we yes. After you tell your story, we actually met ten years prior, without, without knowing. knowing it. Just like you, not oh, knowing wow. it. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. So tell us a little mm. about yourself. You know, we can start. Go ahead, Eva. Ladies first. We'll go ahead and start with mm-hmm. you and let, tell us a little bit about yourself because we know you have so I, much to tell. I, uh, gosh, my life story in five seconds. So my, my parents came to America from Jamaica, uh, went to New York and, uh, spent six years there and it was too cold for my folks. So we went to Florida and that's where I grew up. Um, I started working in the entertainment industry at a very young age, um, because I was so obsessed with it. Um, I guess from the moment I was three, I remember going, yeah, this is for me. And, um, when we got to Florida, I begged for dance classes. I begged for acting classes. I begged for all the classes. My younger brother, Kevin, that you both, both, all of you, all three of you know very well, um, was actually the one that got my first manager because he was cuter than me. So he Stop got, uh, I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> it was that Hollywood story you often hear about where an agent will walk up to you and go, are you signed? Except she wasn't talking to me. She was talking to Kevin and, uh, my parents who had no idea of anything in the entertainment world were like, what is this about? They, they went to meet with the manager. They left me in the car cause they didn't want to mess it up. They were like, they like him. Let's just see what happens. Oh, she comes out of the office no. after they sign Kevin and they go, who's that in the car? And they're like, oh, well, that's our daughter. And they're like, I'll sign her too. So that 
kind of started my whole career because since then I started doing commercials and modeling and acting and, and started working in musical theater, went to performing arts school in Fort Lauderdale, Dillard School of Performing Arts, and just started working professionally as an actress, singer, dancer, really anything I could get my hands on. Uh, eventually ended up in the circus and got that in my bag of tricks. Um, <laughs> He's but, got lots of yeah. bags. Yeah. <laughs> lots of tricks. Back here. But I mean, along the way, I, you know, always picked up new skills. Um, I just think the entertainment industry was something I was always obsessed with across the board. I, you know, anything from filmmaking to music to producing. So, you know, that's kind of how my path got started. And if you see her work, guys, you know that she was just born to do it. Born. Absolutely. And I think most of you that are listening actually have seen her work, even though you may be unaware of it. That's that's the amazing thing. (laughs) Why don't you talk about it? Yeah, a little bit of what you've done. Give us your resume, girl. Sneaky. (laughs) Sneaky like that. Yeah. uh, You know. Some of your highlights, because there's so much. (laughs) Highlights. Oh, highlights. Um, Over the years... As far as television is concerned, I had um, a really enjoyable reoccurring um, the TV show Charmed on CW playing Mama Roz. That was a lot of fun. Also a highlight, playing um, Cypher on Baskets with Zach Galifianakis. You know, oh, one of my recent like star-struck moments was getting to do an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine because I had my scene with Andre Brogner and Harry Cruz. And I was just, <laughs> I mean, I'm in so in awe of those two comic geniuses. I was just like, I can't believe this is actually happening. It was a lot of fun. They were both wonderful and um, so nice. Um, yeah, there's a, you know, there's there's other stuff. Erica has joined me on some of these adventures oh, as well. Yes. So don't. <laughs> I get it twisted. You know, we spent a good, a good uh, couple of months on tour with T Pain and Lil Wayne for a while. Okay. I am, and and that's the I Am Music tour, the by the I way. Am, that's, uh, oh, that's tour. crazy! Yo. I didn't even think that. Amazing. Hey, that was the I Am Music tour, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. What was the circus part of your life? I guess it did start in my teens because of my good friend Margot, Margot Porter. Um, we had gotten into the circus arts uh, as a way to, to make a little extra money. Uh, her mom and herself and I worked as clowns and they were also involved in like fire performance and animal um, acts. And so uh, eventually I ended up working on a circus, uh, Royal Hannaford with Margot doing aerial, doing uh Spanish web and fire and that led into like, once I got to LA, there were before burning man. Oh God, I'm dating myself. There were a a small, you know, patches of groups of circus troops that I was involved in. Um, One being girls on stilts where I, you know, got to learn all my stilt skills, you know, working a lot in corporate event world, gigs, nightclubs, you know, the, the, the gig, uh, 
the gig culture. So, you know, there's a whole underground, I don't know if it's an underground, but, you know, uh, those of us that, that made our, you know, sort of, I guess when people would make their money waitressing and, and, you know, waitering, you know, I was on stilts and eating fire while <laughs> um, auditions during the day, you know, you just had to be creative to find, you know, find ways to pay the bills and, and definitely got creative, you know, doing a lot of those skills. So when you and Margot um, started doing the circus stuff, were there a lot of people of color? Because I don't remember being younger and, and actually seeing black people on the circus. Like when I think of clowns, I think of Homie the Clown. Yeah. So you were probably trailblazers. <laughs> yeah, well, we were definitely trailblazers in Broward County because in Broward County, I think we were probably the, the only three black and black female Absolutely. clowns doing doing anything black at that time female. but yeah wow black yeah exactly and the the cool thing is that once Margot, you know she really took off in that industry she became involved at the from the beginning with universal circus mm-hmm. which um i don't believe is is currently running anymore but they had a very long history of being the only professional traveling touring circus uh, you know, along like on the on the same level of Ringling Brothers and Universal oh, wow. was all people of color. It was amazing. You know, I I got yeah. to do uh, a performance with them. Uh, you know, in L.A. and and it was a very special time. I think it ran. I want to say at least twenty twenty five years. I think Margot was a part of it for at least the first fifteen, and um, you know, she was a staple of that show. So, so it did, it did grow, you know, there, the circus did travel all around the world. They were well-received, you know, hugely promoted. A lot of people do know about them. It was nice to see that, but uh, outside of that, yes, in LA, uh, you know, especially back when I was starting, I was probably at the time, the only performer of color that was a female that was involved in the circus arts. And then another partner that, you know, came out of Florida, Denise Taylor, joined me as being another sister in the circus world. So the two of us sister. at the time were, was the, you know, we were the only ones kind of doing fire and stilts mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. There, you know, I don't want to count out because I do know and, and I'm, I'm forgetting names exactly. I know, I know there are aerialists of color that were also around that time oh petra petra and whose last name i'm forgetting and she's a she's a a dynamo um you know very well known in the stunt world as well i remember working with her you know and then as we get into the 2000s it definitely became i wouldn't say that it was common but there are a lot more names to that list that got added yeah you were definitely one of the first Oh, yeah. When I, you know, it used to be, I, I used to, well, I would say I was one of the first in this area in LA because yes. I remember like going to an audition. If they said, oh, we're looking for a black juggler, you know, I would be the only one there. So mm-hmm. I would end up looking, you know, I'm like, hey, where is <laughs> everybody? Is that, is it, <laughs> you know, I guess I got it. Then you just got <laughs> going to auditions because you knew you were the only one that did everything. <laughs> There would be other jugglers there. They just wouldn't be of color. But right. if they were specifically saying, you know, for instance, 
There was way back when there was a commercial. There was a commercial for Ethiopian Airlines, and they specifically wanted a person of color to be a juggler on the spot. So I was the only one that showed up. But um, yeah, there's not there's still not a lot of us, but there's a lot more of us than there were back in the day. Well, that's amazing. And then what brought you to LA? Um, work. I had worked in South Florida since I was a kid and, you know, all the major auditions were always coming out of LA. I was always sending tapes and back then they were VHSs for auditions. And I just knew at some point I was either going to move to LA or New York. It turned out being LA <laughs> primarily for the weather. Right. But um, yeah, LA is where I ended up staying. And this is where you yeah, met Krista. So, Krista, let's hear a little bit about your background. Wait, 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 oh, wait, wait, wait. oh, oh, no, no. Okay. Not yet. The story of actually where we first met oh. starts in Florida. Ah, okay. Oh. Um, so, this is unknown to us. Now, where we actually meet you on the stage at, at Hollywood Bowl is, is with the same group that just happened in, in Orlando. We were um, performers with a group called Rhythm Extreme. And so back, oh, I can't remember, it, well, you know, it's 2003, I think, that gig in Orlando. So no, I was, it wasn't. It was, uh, it was actually 2000. It was a millennium. 2000? Oh, same God. Year, same year the McDonald's CEO. Hey, I'm about to get it. Why are you just, you're just killing the story, man? Wow. Okay. So, let me tell the story. I just need the year. All right. So. 2000, 2000. So we're doing um, a gig with Rhythm Extreme for McDonald's and we were flown out uh, and he's not in LA at the time. He's in Orlando. Uh, so there was a, an Orlando troupe of Rhythm Extreme already hired to work on the gig. So both, both the groups from LA and Orlando were working together on this. And so they had drummers hanging from the ceiling in the huge auditorium. And then we were doing uh, the drum show on the stage. And so rehearsals were separated between the drummers on the ceiling and the drummers on the stage. And so we'd been rehearsing for a week, you know, I'd look up and I'd see drummers on the ceiling. I didn't know who they were, but he was one of the drummers on the ceiling. So we did the show. We were rehearsing the show for the same show. He was just hanging above me. Wow. wow. And we didn't, we never formally met. So we rehearsed for a week and, you know, the CEO comes out and says, oh my God, I love the run through. It's fantastic. And we're like, great. We can't wait to do it for you tomorrow. And we go to bed and we wake up the next morning and the CEO had died of a heart attack. <gasps> crazy. So crazy. Whoa. So we never ended up doing the show. Still got paid though. We okay, babe. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, look, I was gonna do a job, whether we did it or not, I got paid. Got paid. Hey, but, 20 years later, I think it's the whole too soon thing is okay. So so wow. you know, we it was a huge shock because it was you know, this whole thing was a big deal. It was like an international convention of all the McDonald owners all around the world. So when we woke up that morning, we everybody was just like, What wait, what? he's gone. Like we just met him last night, you know, and you know, That's cut crazy. to 
you know, 10 years after that, where we meet again, and we were like, wait a minute, you were on that gig in Orlando, you were hanging above my head the whole time. We so we were, we had met, but didn't realize we had met. That's amazing. That's amazing. So one of the one of the things that, you know, I didn't emphasize in the introduction, but we definitely want to touch on is that you're you're a drummer, Christos. So tell us a little bit about your history. Growing up in Illinois, um, was your trajectory to become a drummer or tell, tell us about yourself? Yeah, um, I, I grew up in an organization out of Rockford, part of a larger conglomerate of called Dream Corps International. And the Rockford Drum Corps was called the Phantom Regiment. That was a, an organization very prominent in, in Rockford, Illinois, especially with the, the musical aspect of the city. So drum corps, if not too many people know, is it's it's like a marching band, but on a professional scale. So if you took like a college marching band, amplify that by 20 in a professional level as far as the quality of musicianship. And uh, you know, I was I did the drumline thing for a long time in Rockford doing that, and it was a huge part of my family. My my father marched Phantom Regiment back in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, when it was still called the Purple Knights before it even became Phantom Regiment. And then I had aunts and uncles that marched Phantom, and then my older brother marched Phantom. So you a family thing. Yeah, I was going to say, you come from a family of musicians. Yeah, a whole family, a family of drummers. My dad was a drummer, but he never took it serious. You know, he was just kind of, it was just one of those little activities that, he kind of got thrown into as a kid, but he never really fully took to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother got thrown into it in the late 70s. And then when I was a little, just a little kid, always watching him go into the shows and they kind of got me involved. And, and then I was that little pesky, you know, rug rat, you know, always had his, you know, tail end going, show me this, show me that, you know, teach me this, teach me that. And he's all like, go away, kid, you're bothering me, you know? <laughs> so, but eventually, you know, I, I kind of proved that I was able to do it. And then I, I joined the Phantom Regiment Cadets in, uh, in the mid eighties to date myself, you know, and I, I, I worked my way all the way up from, you know, crashing cymbals, you know, to playing in the snare line and, and then my last year with Phantom Regiment was in 93. And yeah, we were the top three drum corps. You know, it was it was great. And that was a huge influence in my life. And then, you know, really kind of set the uh, trajectory for me as a drummer for the rest of my life, for sure. So how did you go from music into Marines? Um, well, again, to uh, talk to my about my father, my father was a pretty hardcore dude when it comes to uh like military and all that he was a marine he was he was a career military man for over 30 something years you know he was really adamant that uh i'd follow in his footsteps he tried to push my brother and he he even went as far as to have recruiters come to the house and you know truly kind of ambush my brother which really you know created a huge rift between those two but uh I definitely was like my father's son. I'm a pretty much a spitting image of that guy. <laughs> you know, uh, if you look at pictures of us, like our 
you know, we're pretty identical as far as everything goes. But uh, Amazing. growing up, he, I was always hanging out with him. He would take me to the shooting ranges. He would teach me how to shoot. He would teach me all kinds of stuff, going camping. We do a lot of survival stuff growing up. So I really got into that kind of thing. And, and I was always, you know, dressing up in military garb as a kid and playing, you know, war games with him and doing all kinds of stupid shit, you know, like paintball guns, you know, paintball wars. And he would teach me, teach me like how to, uh, clear a room and, you know, shoot the bad guys in a room, you know, (laughs) at like nine or 10 years old, I'm like busting through a door and pop, pop, pop with a paint gun, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Learning in urban warfare and stuff, you know, so that was at a really early age. And then in 93, when I was, I started getting burnt out in drum corps, you know, like I literally every summer of my life, since I was nine, eight, eight or nine years old, I was on a football field doing, you know, fo- drum corps shows. And, and it really took up your whole year from May till September, basically, you know, every single year was just nothing but in you get done in September, well, August really was your world championship show. And then you have September, October off. And then November came along and then it was, you know, the tryout season for the next year, you know. So from November all the way through, you're involved with the drum corps. So it was pretty much, pretty much just overtook my life. So after a while, I think as of 93, I just got so burnt out. And I still had three years left before I'd age out. You know, but I never did age out. You know, my brother aged out in '91, but I I never did age out. So I ended corps. up just saying, of the drum corps, yeah. Okay. So instead of going till 21 and age out of the corps, I ended up, just, you know, I was burnt out on it, and I just ended up going in the Marine Corps. But you never lost your love for drumming, obviously. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah. Like I I kind of lost a bit of love for it when I was in the Marine Corps and and I kind of jumped around a little bit as far as jobs go in the Marine Corps mm-hmm. like I I started off as a drummer in the Marines and I and I quickly realized you're an idiot you were so burnt out on Trump Corps then you joined the Marine Corps to play drums yeah. like, what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> so you know that kind of had a huge rift with me you know emotionally where I eventually did a lot move out into the fleet Marine force and did light armor and infantry and rolled around in tanks and blew shit up. <laughs> and was that life sort of like what you had envisioned growing up that way, obviously with your father setting that example and sort of prepping you already, because I don't, I know nothing about the military, honestly. And so if I think about military, you know, I think about all the movies that I've seen and, you know, the bugle call at 5 AM and the lineup and, you know, <laughs> I, I, I know nothing about it. So was that life, Anything like what you expected it to be? Well, yeah, I think, you know, also drum corps really prepared me for that because drum corps comes from a, comes basically from, it derives from a military mm-hmm. type of situation, like a pipe and drum corps of back in the day. You know, uh, it all basically roots from the military anyway. Mm. And our daily regiment of practice and wake up and everything we did was really marching and all that was you know, derives from the military. So I was pretty uh, acclimated to towards that mindset in a way already, already mm-hmm. from having a father who was a Marine to being in drum corps, both of them together really just, you know, solidified my mindset before even going in to the Marine Corps. And, and I find, I actually found it a lot easier 
to uh, comprehend and deal with the emotional aspect of all that compared to some of the other recruits that I saw in boot camp who were, you know, going really crazy and, you know, and, and really find it so difficult to adapt to that way of thinking, hmm. you know. So once you got out of the Marine Corps, let's talk about your career and some of the highlights of your career because you've been doing some, well, pre-COVID, <laughs> you've been doing a lot yeah, of amazing, amazing. Uh, yeah. gigs and traveling with huge artists. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I kind of was at a, a weird crossroads in my life. I was uh, newly divorced. You know, I got you. I, mm. I, I was young and dumb, and I married a girl when I was in the Marine Corps and didn't really think it out. You know, didn't really, uh, really think things through. I was more thinking with the other head, I imagine. I upgraded for sure. I, you know, it took, it took a good uh, decade of test drive before I settled on the, the late model. Oh! Oh. <laughs> I kid, I kid. I'm built to last. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, you know, coming at that crossroads in life, I didn't really know what to do. And I, I, I hit up my older brother and he was actually playing drums at Disney World in Florida. And I was like, what am I doing, man? What, what should I do? And he goes, man, there's all kinds of opportunities popping up up here. Why don't you just come to Florida and spend some time and see if you like it? So I went to Florida and I ended up getting a, a job at Disney World. And I was playing drums in, uh, in one of the parades, which then led to another gig there at Disney World playing in the Fife and Drum Corps. So, again, it's all rudimental style drumming, you know, drumline style drumming, you know, so... Mm -hmm kind of stayed with what I knew at that point in time. Uh -huh. And then that kind of catapulted me into the Broadway show Blast. And, and then, you know, from Disney, I joined the Blast production and did that for a brief moment until they disbanded three of the casts, you know, due to whatever financial crap they were going through. And then that being a part of that, Paul Rennick, who was the drum guy for Blast at that time, called me and goes, hey, I'm putting together this show in Australia. Would you mind being the captain, the drum captain of this show and help, help me get this going? I'm like, sure. So we got the show going for Australia and we got all the guys and I spent a, a couple of years in Australia. Do, wow. I did one year did one year in uh, at the casino show doing the blast style drum show, which was called Stickworks, which I actually just had a, a really cool a reunion with all those guys doing via zoom oh. for the first time first time in 20 years that we all get together and say hey you know wow. or 18 years wow you know so that was cool but while in australia i had met some amazing amazing musicians you know like this guy aaron saxon who's a guitar player singer phenomenal musician and him and toddy and our our friend Damien, who passed away last year, is a bass player. You know, it was really great musician. So I ended up moving in with those guys, staying at uh, extra, you know, period of time in Australia and until basically the immigration lady told me, "Look, mate, either you fucking marry somebody or you get the fuck out." Those were her exact <laughs> female immigration officer. Was exact words to me. <laughs> wow. So I was like, well, so uh, I'm out of here, I guess. Then I got a phone call from that that took me to Japan to do, again, 
rudimental drumming, but on trash cans. It's called jammeters. And uh, janitors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're dressed as janitors basically for the Disney parks. And but when we come out, we're looking like we're cleaning shit up. <laughs> and then we're but and then we ended up playing busting on the drum. drumming, you know. And I, I did That's it cool. as uh, we did it also as a group called Kitchen Beat at the Tokyo Disney Sea, where we're all dressed as chefs. So we're uh, coming out looking like we're chefs and we're going to do this little like cooking show or whatever, but ended up, we we're all drummers. Surprise. Oh yeah. Everything was kind of just thrown in my lap. It was nothing I actually tried to do. Like I didn't audition for it. I just got the call to do it. So it was kind of cool. I can't stand people like you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, but, but it was, you know, it was one of those opportunities where just, you know, I, I went to Japan when I was in the Marine Corps, but it was for a brief moment and I didn't really get to see that much. You know, so yeah. my whole thing was like any opportunity to travel, I'm going to do it because, mm -hmm. you know, the six years I spent in the Marine Corps, I didn't get to travel that much as to where a lot of people did. Uh -huh. So, yeah, I took every opportunity I could. And so I did that year in Japan with that. And then again, I met so many people and I tend to immerse myself into cultures. I, I, I really respect other cultures. And yes, he does. And he speaks fluent Japanese. I wouldn't say fluent because that's been a long time. Uh, I am nowhere near. Uh, I can get by basic now. I'm like a, a child Japanese in a way. <laughs> but, you know, it's, you know, Amer America is so, in, in the aspect of things, it's so big. It's so large. And people get kind of stuck in their own little bubble, in their own little city. And they never leave. And they, they don't have really any idea of what the world's like and. You know, it's the same, like, God, I could get into that. That's a huge thing. But, uh, you know, I, I love other cultures. And I think the world needs to experience all the different cultures and what they're about and, and try to curate those cultures. Because right now, they're just disappearing left and right. I think that's a good segue to talk about what's going on in America and, and compared to the other world or the other um, countries. And what are your thoughts on... Yeah, being such a such a avid traveler or being able, given the gift to explore yeah, so much of the world. So now we're here. We're coming up on an, ele an election. We're, you know, under a president that is just really terrible. Horrible. <laughs> Dictator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and I know that you have some really I mean, strong opinions about that. So share some of that with us. Oh, I do. Um, well, again, you know, I... As of my, my career in traveling and as a drummer and in the music business, you know, I've I've kind of jumped on the other side of things as well. And as not drumming, I've been more in production as well. So that has really allowed me to travel a lot more, either from stage manager, production manager, guitar tech or drum tech, keyboard tech. I've done it all in the past couple of years. And it's really taken me to a lot of great places and I think in the past two years has probably been the best for me as far as travel and seeing other cultures that I've never seen before. And God, it's so much how we're even begin. <laughs> One of the affairs that I, you know, that I, I feel like I don't know much about and I would love to, to hear about is simply the fact that you're a veteran. I mean, I feel like you you constantly hear about veterans and their struggle and you know obviously you've come out and you've had a very successful life but 
you also, you know, didn't have to deal with combat. So PTSD maybe is, you know, is just not one of those issues okay. um, in your life. But yeah. you've been, you know, you. I feel like we talk about veterans and, and you don't always hear the success stories. You hear sort of like this, you know, the homeless or, you know, the ones that are just dealing with mental issues or have sort of been left behind. How can we as active citizens ha- affect that in, in a more positive way? Well, and that's another thing that we... And that, and, that, and that derives from an, another kind of thing that goes way far back into our society where the lack of education. We're a society that is based on kind of what's happening now, what's going on today, what's on Twitter today. The education of our society has fallen to the wayside. And back in the 50s and 60s, or mostly in the 40s and 50s, our veterans were really well taken care of. And, and the veterans from World War II were, you know, healthcare was provided for them. The VA was strong, you know. And I don't, I don't actually know if the actual Veterans Affairs was an actual thing then. Mm. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say I know. Mm-hmm. As a society, we took care of our veterans. And, and the education system was still fairly strong, even though it was uh, misguided. You know, there's a lot of false history being taught to our youth and all the division and hatred and, you know, racism kind of derives from in our country is based on, you know, the education system ignorance. and how we teach. Yeah, the ignorance and of the but it's all it's just systemic racism, really, mm-hmm. it, within the education system where they they teach a false narrative of our history, you know, leaving out really everything that was important of slavery and the black you know, culture of, our, of the United States. So now that's why we're seeing all this bullshit now and the rise of the right, you know, the alt-right and Trump and all that is because those, those kids' parents were taught in a systemic racist way back in those days. So then that, that shit, hate is taught. It's not born, you know? Right. So mm-hmm. that's where we are today because of the education system. And that's, I think, we're we need to start right now with this new, hopefully our new president in, in November, is they need to you know, start from ground up, re- restructure the education system in America, teach the right history, mm-hmm. all of the history, mm-hmm. so everyone can understand where we're from and how to act now and where to go from here. You know, and that also ties in with the veterans. You know, we need to educate our citizens that you know, the veterans put their life on the line for these children to go to school, to go to Great America, go to Disney World, have the freedom to do all that, you know, to have the freedom for me to travel the world as a, in a production guy, you know, or we just have a lot, lot of things that we need to do, but it all derives from education. We need to really create a strong foundation in America in the education system, you know, and that's, that, that right there will help root out a lot of the systemic racism. Yeah. So many, I mean, so many issues, you know, that, that are affected just because of our lack of education. Now that we're on the systemic racism uh, topic, you guys being uh, an interracial couple, have you had to deal or I mean, without uh, throughout your relationship or even more so now during this BLM movement, has there been anything within your experience that has really been significant in terms of triumphs or 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 setbacks? Um, 
you know, it, I feel because we've been so isolated, you know, there, it's it's not the normal situation of us, you know, walking around and being around other people as much as we usually are. As far as how we, we're looking at these issues being dealt with, I don't know. I, I, I've been feeling hopeful, you know. Um, thank goodness for our families. So within our own network of you know folks we've fully supported um you know there's a lot of love on both sides mm-hmm. and um you know outside of that <laughs> i really didn't care about anybody else's opinion enough to to let it bother me so um i mean we we've had our our random like looks or you know i've i've had some you know idiot walking down hollywood boulevard you know, saying, you know, bullshit, like, you know, why don't you get you a white girl, you know, or some bullshit like that. Or, you know, I've, I've wow. You know, but yeah, his opinion doesn't matter. It doesn't so it doesn't matter bother me. me. Like right. it's a big, but it's just yeah. even shocking to think like in Hollywood, walking down Hollywood Boulevard, that somebody would even, you know, if we were maybe in Louisiana or Georgia or something, then I'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't shock me at all. I mean, because I've dealt with it. You know, being from Florida, mm-hmm. that's kind of the norm. So I'm rarely shocked when I hear it. I just go, oh, yeah, okay. Here we, you know, here yeah, we, go. we had an interview with one somebody who mentioned he's from, he, he grew up in uh, Georgia. In Georgia mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, yeah, the KKK, that was a normal thing. You know, they were out, you know, handing out their leaflets. And I mean, we didn't even blink, you know, we didn't even think twice about it, you know, where for, for you know, I was, it was just a little bit of a shocking comment for me not being raised around that culture you know that that it was that it was just so commonplace Mm. you know and just now seeing it all come out even more and they have a platform because of the president because of you know it's it's being it's 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 shocking but it's also like you said eva very hopeful because we've seen such an uprise in unity from all sides um, in terms of, you know, white people that maybe before didn't feel like they could speak up are being given a platform to speak up and being asked to speak up and say something. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've run into it uh, in Florida, like going to visit my, my parents back in the day and the straw that broke the camel's back for me, I had a guy out there that was considered a friend. And then when my father passed away, we had a whole shindig at my house, you know, and I honored him and everybody came over and I, you know, I was cooking and whatever. And Eva was inside and this guy proceeded to use the N word and all this stuff in oh, my presence wow. in my parents' house. And I just stood up. I was like, get out, get out of my house. Don't, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like this is unacceptable. Would you say that if my lady was sitting out here, like, fuck you. Like I was so mad. You know, and he got into it with this other guy. I was like, get the hell out of my, like, from that point on, I was done. I was like, you know, people like that who are emboldened by this administration, you know, to take us back to the, you know, 30s and 40s of, you know, white power and all this bullshit. It's, man, I mean, I I see a good, I see a light at the end of the tunnel for this because of what's going on now today. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really feel if we can be successful here in November, you know, on both, on all sides, like house and Senate, all that, we can really flip everything. I think we have a good chance of, 
you know, tr- driving something forward that would be better 20 years from now for the other, for say Maya and, you know, all the other kids in the world who are going to have to deal with the aftermath of what we do. Absolutely. So it's all about what we do right here and right now for the future of all of them. And if we fail in November, man, it's, it's going to be a, we just got to keep this energy going. That's that's the only thing I'm skeptical about. But I'm hopeful, but I'm hoping that we can continue this. And um, for you, Eva, as an actress, have you seen... I know because of COVID, there's not many auditions, but they're taped auditions and everything. Are you seeing a, a big push for more roles as an African-American woman, more diversity, any kind of change during this time? Well, you know, the um, the the Me Too movement and the Oscar So White mm-hmm. um, campaign, you know, that that started a couple years back was sort of the beginning of these spikes mm-hmm. that started to happen in Hollywood with with casting and projects being greenlit and and filmmakers of color getting, you know, their chance to to shine. And, you know, I, I feel like. Uh, it's just sort of gotten more momentum this year. I mean, obviously, we are seeing a lot of, since the Emmy nominations came out, we're seeing a lot of results of, of that attention. And, you know, every day I'm reading about some, you know, new or prominent person of color getting their chance to direct and and produce and write and and you know it really it, I feel positive about about what's you know coming in the future um, as far as casting yeah you know I, I've talked about especially in my you know uh, social media that in my years of being here in LA you know we've had the Crown Act passed a year ago which you know, it was baffling to me that we, you know, <laughs> needed to have a, a ban on racial discrimination of, of black hair. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy mm-hmm. that it's that people recognize that it was even a problem noticed in my years of being here in casting. Like, I, you know, I I'm a, obviously a woman with natural hair. And as black women do, we have we have to figure out what we want to do with our hair. Mm-hmm. You know, stay natural. We're going to go straight, you know, and that decision used to be career changing, um, you know, yeah. uh, yes, yes. because if you kept your hair natural back in the day, that meant you were only going to be cast for certain roles. And if you wanted to be a lawyer, if you wanted to be a doctor on screen, you better straighten that shit up. You know, you mm. better look professional. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote. Mm. So, you know, I was a little bit, I mean, a, a mixture of being too damn lazy to straighten it all the time and just being a, you know, a rebel about it, that I, I was primarily natural during those days. It meant that my casting was just of a certain, you know, you know, I was either, what is it? I was either the prostitute, the convict, the junkie, or the nurse. So I have, a, you know, quite a few of those roles, but I did notice over the last couple of years as the attention to this got bigger that I've, you know, been able to cast more professional roles with my natural hair. And it's, it's been a huge sign to me that 
I'm not just, you know, seen in one certain way that, that people with hair like mine or look like me are not seen just to fill one certain type of role because, you know, there are many professional people with natural hair that really exist in the world. So, you know, let's represent that. And it, and, you know, I always give a a lot of credit to um, Viola Davis because one of the roles that, you know, made my parents fairly happy because, you know, my parents were always worried that, you know, I wasn't going to get the opportunities that other actors get if I didn't straighten my hair. Mm -hmm. And when I, you know, booked, a scene on how to get away with murder with Viola Davis playing a fellow professor. She loved that role. (laughs) That highlight highlight Highlight, um, that that was for some reason. And and I, I can't say um, that I know this for sure, but I feel like down, down the pipeline, she had something to do with making sure that that occurred Mm. as far as, with natural hair because when I was in the the dressing room with Viola in the in the trailer her mom it was on set that day and I got to meet her mom and her mom you know at that on that day had you know had her hair all natural and she said look at us we got the, the two natural sisters on set and I was like oh <laughs> like you know it was important I could tell that it was an important detail that 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 decision was, you know, had something to do with the decision. And so when my parents were able to see, oh, here's a woman with natural hair, you know, I'm a, I'm a well-respected professor. Like that, that was kind of a turning point for my parents to kind of go, okay, this will be all right. You know? And for me, like, yeah, I can be seen in, in, in a broader, you know, casting with my, my own hair. That's amazing. And it's so interesting because when I when I first met you, Eva, I really sort of, you know, had filed you away in my brain as a dancer, but you're primarily an actress and now uh, an author. And I, I film love that. Director, a producer. film director. I mean, so Everything. many hats, but I love the thing. sort of the story because it's so inspiring. Just, you know, you 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 had an injury which sort of stopped your the, the career path that you were sort of on in some one of your career paths sort of short. But through that, what came the creation? If, if correct me if I'm wrong, of this of this self experiment, which then turned into a, a great book. Um, it's a happy new day. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to put anything negative on my life as a dancer. It, you know, it has served me. Uh, you know, emotionally, it brought it has brought me joy. It has been a true um, part of my expression from. My childhood, and you met uh, some of your best friends. That's oh, right. Through dance, <laughs> I met most of my friends through dance. Um, and That's and right. you know the way I <laughs> my training was was through musical theater. And so back in those days, you trained as a triple threat. It was never just a dancer, just a singer, just an actress. Right. So I, I was training in all three at the same time. Now the acting. I always felt because I, I was never the, the the perfect ballerina. I was not the one you come to for perfect technique. I was not the one you come to to like, you know, perfect splits and, you know, my toe didn't point all the way. But I felt like acting was the, the one skill that sort of 
strengthened all the others, Mm. you know, because acting was the storytelling. And I would not be a dancer without that gift of storytelling. I would not be a singer without that gift of storytelling or voiceover artist Mm -hmm. without that, Mm -hmm. you know. So the acting I always felt was was the base because without the story, you you don't have anything to show. You don't have anything to tell. And Mm -hmm. dancing was and, and, you know, has had been uh, a huge part of my life. It definitely fueled my whole circus skill career as well. Now, when I had my injury in 2017, you know, at that point in my life, I was, you know, sort of what Chris was talking about, you know, kind of doing the things that were given to me, you know, uh, gigs that were handed, um, you know, it's always good to be working if you're an artist, you know, we we get into that mm-hmm. hustle mode and we go, okay, if I don't have to audition for it and it's being given to me, that's a good thing, right? Right. <laughs> So, you know, you get you get into that mindset where I'm doing it because it's here and not I'm doing it because I'm choosing to. Yeah, and you're not doing it because it's something you wanted to do first. And well, well, it's I been mean, given it, to you. Well, there, I, you know, there, I still wanted to dance, but, you know, there's only so much time in a, in a, in the span of your life. And if there's something that I wanted to get to that I wasn't getting to. I needed to start refocusing, which I wasn't doing at that time in my life. So when the, when the, you know, I had a whole, you know, I'd been writing, I'd been writing scripts. Um, I'd always wanted to write a book and I always said in my mind, oh, I would write a book, but where was I going to get the time if I was, you know, dancing and doing gigs and, you know, acting and, you know, and whatnot. And then even with acting, you know, if I'm doing gigs, I'm not always available for maybe some of the roles I wanted to play. So, you know, as an artist, you still go, well, do I say no to stuff? Because that means I'm not paying my bills. So, you know, the whole juggle. Yeah. But when I had the injury, the decision was made for me to, okay, you will not be saying yes to everything that's handed to you. You will now make choices based on what you want to do. And, you know, while I was recovering from ACL surgery, you know, I had a lot of time to go, okay, people were calling because I wasn't making it very known that I had, you know, I was in recovery. Mm -hmm. So I was getting calls and I started getting used to the word no, not because I was making the choice to, it was because I had no choice to, you know, they'd call and they go, hey, we got a gig for you. I'm like, yeah, I can't do it. Wow, that came out of my mouth. Oh, you know, <laughs> Isn't and, it a and beautiful had, thing. Oh my god! But I had, you know, I was being forced to say no mm-hmm. without any, without giving any explanation. And I think without that's a big. Without, I think that's a huge, huge. part of it because, you know, I had gotten so used to explaining myself to people. Ugh, it's tiring. But here I was going. I don't want to make it known that I've been hurt. I'm just going to say no and not explain why. And that empowered me. So in that time, I said, look, I don't want to waste that, you know, this time I have while I'm sitting here recovering. How can I, how can I write a book? You know, I, I, it's daunting. I mean, anyone yeah. who thinks about writing a book, uh, even writers who write books <laughs> will tell you it's daunting at, at the beginning. And I, I've been a big, huge fan um, of self-help books all my life. They they kept me sane. They have been my my uh, <laughs> low-cost therapist, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, 
you know, people will have a, uh, will make jokes about self-help books, but honestly, when I had no one to turn to borders, Barnes and Nobles, uh, any bookstore was my best friend. Cause I could sit in the aisle and pull out a book and go, Woosa, you know? And so I was, wanted to write a, a, a book in that, in that genre because I felt like my experience might help somebody else. And I thought, well, if I could break it down into small steps, maybe I'd get, you know, get it finished. And so that's where the idea came. You know, um, Happy New Day, it's a 40-day guide to a happier, healthier life. And I basically gave myself the experiment to write one chapter every day for 40 days. So I was literally writing the book. If you read, you know, when if you get the book, you'll see that I am writing the book as you read the book. It is written like a, a diary. And it's also a journal that helps you break down and the, the, the habits that you currently have and try to replace them with the habits that you want that will bring you more happiness and more health. So, you know, I that's that's where the book came around. Yeah, there isn't a time that I don't sweep or vacuum that I don't now think of you because one of your oh. in one of your chapters you talked about how much joy it brought you. To, and to I'm sleep. like, yeah, boy, could you read that book today? Let's read that book. I was yes. I was vacuuming the other day and I was like, oh, it does bring me joy. She's right. Uh. It's the little simple thing. Because I I have never been. I mean, I remember as a kid, my parents were like, you got to wash the dishes. I is you know like right. it, it turned into something in my brain that I learned to hate until I you know found a way to like either play music or or you know bring my little phone and watch game shows while I wash the dishes and like and then you know once I watch Price is Right the dishes are done like win win <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Well, you, um, I mean, you're truly a renaissance woman. So then the, the book, you know, you write your book and now here we are in a pandemic and you guys are confined to home with your beautiful pup. And uh, this great idea comes along to unite forces and put together a band. Yeah. <laughs> Two man band. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm forcing him to do it. Like a, like, <laughs> it's, it's, a it's a production. It, in uh, endeavor, if you will. I yeah, guess. you know, it's production endeavor, a creative production endeavor. Mm. I love it. We're it, trying to be disciplined about it because I guess know. it just—it's a whole another way to create a new mindset of how to really kind of discipline yourself to do to set goals, create in and try to achieve those goals within a, a certain timeline or deadline. And uh, it's so far so good. I mean, she she's like my drill sergeant. And so she's keeping me more on my toes and mm -hmm. less. <laughs> I love that. Nope. You're the military guy, but she's keeping you on your toes. <laughs> he is more the explorer. And I'm like the, the, the. Yeah. I mean, my military life, I have it as a foundation, but the mindset is way. way <laughs> <gone>. <laughs> He's like, they yeah, never I got mean, into my mind. Like, Look, I'm still. I, I, yeah. I moved to Australia. I took that opportunity to kind of get rid of the Marine Corps mindset. Because like, yeah. if you guys knew the Chris, Chris Hansen from back in the nineties, I don't think he would have liked me to be honest with you. I was a bit of an asshole. <laughs> I was a, I was a, I was an aggressive kind of, you know, vocal asshole. Wow. You know, in a, in a way, I was really kind of abrupt, and I 
I didn't really wear any type of caution on any on my sleeves at all. Unfiltered. Yeah. Unfiltered. Love like it. if I had something to say, I'd say it. If you pissed me off, I'd let you know. Mm. And, and I would let you know right then and there vocally in front of everybody. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, dang. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I just, would, I didn't care. Like, cause for me, I was in a mindset of like, I, you know, as a, as a platoon sergeant or, uh, you know, I was a vehicle commander and I had Marines underneath me, which in, a, in that mindset, it was live or die. Yep. You right. follow my orders or we die right. type of mindset. So I didn't really have a filter. And in the Marine Corps, there's no filters. Like I would come home and my mom goes, you have to say the F word every other word, you know, like type of situation. <laughs> like it was, it was filthy in mm -hmm. a way. But it it was when you're in a in a vehicle in a war type setting or training, like there's no room for niceties. Like it's right. let's do this. We're doing it now. This yeah. is game yeah. time. Follow no my mistake. orders. You're gonna get your ass kicked. Type yeah. of situation. Yeah. Versus, now, you know, but now you're getting so your you got, ass kicked. So you got rid of that, and, and then now you're so, right back in the military. You know. <laughs> now I got my drill instructor kind of bringing me back into yeah, that, but yeah. I'm I'm so much nicer now. So much Aww. more. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's super chill, and you know my my experience as an AD through my film production, you know background comes into play, and you know yeah. I'm I'm setting the schedule. I experienced you know, that. I was gonna say no I've joke. seen that. I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, wait, I don't I know if I've seen that. I come, come on. I saw it in Paso. I saw okay. like little tinges of it coming out. Yeah. You have to deliver. It's so you funny because if you had a question before questionnaire before this, you I would totally so I would have put yeah. it on Chris. If, if you need a production schedule set out and followed to the T, she's your girl. I love ah. it. I love it. Under time and under budget. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, you hired. <laughs> um, so let's talk about this new project. Yeah, so this is the uh, okay. Butte, 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 Butte and the Beat. So you have a yeah. new EP coming out. Yeah. Yes. The EP is called Deep Blue Summer. Basically, we had been talking about music for a while, not really knowing what we would do. But, you know, we have a studio that we have an access to in our house. It's his drum studio. And, you know, you we look at it and we go, gosh, we should be, we should be making stuff, you know, and, and that conversation went on for years. And then, you know, here we are um, in a pandemic. Now we have the look, time. Now we have the time. And so we didn't really, it honestly started <laughs> with this post I did <laughs> making sangria. Hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think, I, I don't think uh, Apple gets enough credit or is it Instagram or Facebook, whenever they kick you off for using some other music because you don't have the rights, mm -hmm. I don't think they get enough credit for all the homemade songs that get made out of that. Uh. <laughs> don't you know, you get, so, you get so frustrated. You're like, okay, fine. I won't take this song. I'll just make my own. Oh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. So I, I was making some background music to my Sangria post on, on Instagram. And the tune was kind of catchy. I had just, you know, thrown it together. And then I was like, let's make a song out of this. Let's just see, you know. I love it, I love it all for an Instagram <laughs> post. <laughs> Let me just make a, a song. Yeah. Should we play a taste of sangria or what? Yeah. yeah Give it. us a little yes. So so we collaborated and, and finished finished the tune. And I was like, so I remember, okay, so I a little background. I had uh, uh, a very, 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 and Erica was involved, a very, 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 very small record deal. 
back in, I don't know, 10 years ago. And at that time with the producer, I was a yeah, backup singer, backup dancer. She was there. So in, during that time, you know, the, the, 10 years ago, there was still a lot that you had to do if you wanted to get music out. And, you know, I think labels were still involved. <laughs> and, you know, contracts and, and crap like that. And so when we came up with this tune, which we called Sangria, um, I was like, you know, I don't even know what it takes to put your stuff out anymore. And when I found out, you know, you can do it yourself. I was like, well, let's just put the single out, kind of see what the process is and, and, and how it turns out. So, I mean, you know, back in the day, I remember TuneCore. I don't know how quick TuneCore turns a tune around now, but I remember back in the day, when we put it out, it took months for that song to come out on iTunes. And then we, you know, we use a DistroKid. I don't know if I'm saying it right, yeah. DistroKid. And, you know, thinking, okay, well, it won't be out for like four, four weeks. And it came out in a week. And I was like, oh my God, we have a song on iTunes. Oh God, oh God. You know, that, <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> so then we were like, okay, um, while we're kind of feeling this vibe, Let's let's put some other songs together and just make a short EP and and just put it out before the summer's over because that's kind of the um, inspiration for the EP. It's it's basically the summer that we missed, so that's why we call it Deep Blue Summer. We were supposed to take a couple trips this year, one of them to the Mediterranean to celebrate his brother's birthday, and you know we missed out on you know going to the Caribbean for my birthday and going to the Mediterranean. So um, these, these songs are, are sort of like the music we would be listening to had we made our trip kind of thing. And That's um, awesome. so it's, it's, it's that vibe of vacation, being on the beach, being by the pool, just feeling good. Like it's vacation music. It's like that, I, I, I love the music that plays when you enter a hotel lobby. <laughs> You know, like it, like the really, the not really the elevator, the lobby, no, not, uh, not the elevator. Uh, I'm talking about like the Four Seasons. Like right. when you walk into the Four Seasons and they got that sexy lounge, Sade, like, like all the exactly, and the wind is blowing. That's what this EP is supposed to bring. That sort of vibe. It's just you know, and so we wanted to get it out before summer's done. So that's that's sort of the push. Yeah, it's it. been a it's been an interesting challenge, especially for me because, uh, you know, I'm now learning more of the engineering process, you know, and mixing process, which is, you know, no easy task for a novice. You know, you have to really kind of, you know, learn as you go. And I've been picking my friends' brains, like, you know, my buddy Keith Harris, who's you know, a Grammy Award-winning producer. And my buddy Rob Columbus, who owns a studio down on Melrose, uh, who's, you know, more on the folk uh, rock and roll side of things. So, you know, kind of just picking their brains and sending mixes to them and having their opinion, like what, how does this sound? What, you know, what can I do? Like, it's, you know, just a, such an interesting process. And then, you know, and also, I've been kind of piecing together my studio piece by piece, trying to like need this for this and I need that for this. And and I save up enough to grab this, hopefully, you know, oh, I need this microphone, you know, or 
this mic preamp or this plugin like it man that shit's expensive yeah you know yeah exactly so it's a it's a huge process learning curve but i think uh you know I've, i'm proud of myself i'll say that i'm proud of you too oh we're Aww. proud of you we can't wait to hear it, it. all came full circle yes so <laughs> So let's make sure that the, the our listeners know where to find Bute and the Beat, as well as it's a happy new day. Um, and if they want to follow you and find out more about you, where we, where can we find you? Well, uh, the first single "Sangria" is, is already available on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify. I think most of the streaming sites. Um, the EP "Deep Blue Summer" will be out on those same platforms and and then uh, happy new day is on amazon you can also find a link on my website eviladare.com and what was it what was the other thing just your socials give us your socials if people want to follow you and follow your journeys um eviladare.com is my website is my instagram um there's also it's a happy new day is the instagram for the book and my, oh, I mean, there's a huge part of my life we didn't talk about, but my my Twitter handle is Karen Sheva Eva. That's a little throwback to my video game character, uh, Sheva Alamar on Resident Evil 5. Oh, that's right. There's black Renaissance character. woman. Man. Yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> the highlights, the highlights. It's just too much. Uh. Yeah, uh, you can find me pretty much. I'm I'm not huge on social media other than Instagram and I guess Facebook, but mostly just Instagram. Christos Aaron, where you can find me on that. And I think it's Christos Aaron on Instagram. Wait, is that what you just said? That's what I just said. Christos yeah. Aaron yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Aaron with two A's, right? A A R O N. And then have you just really quickly, have you heard because so much of your life in the last two years was was touring? Have you heard any word about when things will open back up and are any and is anybody starting to plan any kind of? It's kind of up in the air right now. There's a as far as like touring as it was now, they're saying maybe not even till 22 is you know big open wide ass concerts full crowds that's probably not even going to be a reality till 2022 well so now there's a lot of cool things going on like red rocks amphitheater now turned their parking lot into a drive-in you know music venue oh, wow. so you drive, well, it's like a drive-in movie theater but you know the, you have your concert but you, everybody's in their cars you know so it's like you know old school but cool yeah <laughs> i guess old school, uh, cool. you know, old school cool um so we're starting to see a lot of that we're starting to see a lot of streaming things coming up in my time with the black ips i'm still with that production camp uh they've been doing a lot of streaming live streaming things mm-hmm. i've only been able to do one with with the full band mm-hmm. so we've only been able to do one so far since this whole uh, thing has happened but and, and you were supposed to be I mean he was they had a whole tour from like May until November that wow. was planned well, that yeah got canceled. I mean they just released a, a new album so we we had a whole world tour wow. that's, yeah that's right they had that Latin tune you know, yeah, yeah. So I was supposed to be on it right now I was supposed to be on that right now you know but uh yeah. you know but hey you're doing your own project now we're doing yeah, our own project yeah. move over black eyed peas <laughs> Bute and the beat <laughs> it's coming through Hilarious. <laughs> <I'll be here. laughs> 
This is so oh, fun. This you was guys. so great. So before we let our um, our guests go, we always ask them to fill uh, the sentence to complete the sentence with three to five words. I am blank. <laughs> I am happy to be alive. I am. I am very optimistic to the future of this country. Oh, two more. All right, well, one word. One word that I describes am, you yeah. and, and what you're feeling. One word? <laughs> can think of an affirmation, girl. I am strong. I am inspirational. Oh, 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 okay. You go first. I am beast. <laughs> <laughs> burn, burn. Oh my God. I am beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I am fortunate. I am grateful. I'm happy. Yeah, that. I mean, there's so many. There's, I'll, I'll take all of those. Yeah. Shoot. You know. Um, and well, I'm, I'm fortunate to have friends like you. Yeah. Yes, we are. Well, we also like to turn it around. So I'm gonna turn. So we're gonna we're gonna turn it around on you guys. Uh, you are inspiring. You are talented. Oh, thank you. Thank you, you are a doer, both of y'all. Yeah. <laughs> you are. How you took my inspirational man. You are. This is hard. That just sums yeah, it up. It is. Um, yeah. Right. The pressure. My thesaurus. You are exciting. I just love. I think you guys. Wait, you can't keep. No, you she's are not talking. <laughs> You're creative. No, we're supposed to get one. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> Wait, you are. <laughs> I'll step away from the mic. You are love. Oh, uh, those are some really good ones. Yes. Are you done? I'm what done. you got, kid? Man, I <laughs> I don't know. There's so many things like get yeah, good. You are you guys genuine. Are so much, you guys what are you so- doing? Oh, sorry, She's like, you are genuine. <laughs> Can I get a word in? Uh, I, one of the things that came to mind was transformative. Like, oh. you guys are just constantly, like, moving, ebbing, transforming, doing different well, things. You're not afraid. You are unafraid, it, it sounds like. I know you probably have certain feelings about different things, but there's so many things with your relationship, with the things you've guys done, there's a, a level of fear that you don't address because you just need to be who you, you are you, I am you, or you, how does that work? You are yourself, I am your, <laughs> what is the word? You are me. I am you. Now you sound like King of Scotland. I am you. Yeah, I think those, those are the yeah. things, yeah. Yeah. Well, we ap- we appreciate y'all. And we appreciate you, ha- you guys having us on. We are touched. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> we love you guys. Yeah, so we love you and we can't wait more, to see man. you in person. Yeah, I can't wait to give y'all hugs, man. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening. Interested in starting your own podcast? Visit us at iammusicgroup.com.